Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to the Chronicles of Nannia, a nanny resource podcast made for nannies by me, a nanny. This is your host, Martha Tyler, and this week we are going to be talking about Generation Nanny by Audrey Brazil. Hello. Hi. Did I say it correctly? Yeah. Good. (laughs) We were talking before we recorded, and I wanted to make sure that I said Audrey's last name correctly, because it's important to me. Names are important. Gracias. Thank you. De nada. Um, hi, Audrey. How are you? I'm doing well. It's a Friday here in Austin, and it's not a thousand degrees, so we're happy for that. Yes, that must feel nice. Yes, it is. Trust me. A thousand degrees is very hot. (laughs) It is. Um, Yeah, it's been a little warmer this week in Chicago, but next week's going to get like fall and I'm excited about it. Oh, yes. Autumn is here. The pumpkin spice has arrived. (laughs) Oh, yes. Which I've never been a fan of, but I don't yuck other people's yums. I'm just not a huge cinnamon fan. Thank you. Let me be basic. Thank you. (laughs) No, I support you. I just don't personally partake in the pumpkin spice (laughs) craze. Um, Well, wonderful. Well, we are going to be talking about your book, Generation Nanny, um, which I read most of, and I really, really, really loved it. With school and everything going on, I did not have a chance to get all the way to the end, although I sped read through the end, um, because I really wanted to record this episode with you and get it out to other nannies, because this is such a really, I felt really um, seen in this book, and it's a very personal story, and I still felt very seen as a nanny. Hmm, good. Which was lovely. Well, I'm glad you decided to spend your time kind of with me all week. Um, A lot of times when people, as they're reading it, especially close friends, they're like, oh my gosh, it's like I just hung out with you for an hour. That was so great to read. And um, I'm glad that you decided to kind of read a little bit. Well, I know you had a week off, though it seems like you've been pretty busy. So thanks for spending time with me. 
Yeah, it was legitimately my pleasure. Like, I really, really enjoyed the time. It was very relaxing when I would like preserve an hour here and there. And I'd be like, this is Martha's reading time. Get to spend time with Audrey. No Ooh, phone. Yes. <laughs> yes. Love I, it. I would subscribe for sure. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I will do that. I love reading books and I love talking about them. Um, but yeah. Okay. So let's hear, before we talk about uh, Generation Nanny as a book, mm-hmm. Let's hear your nanny journey. Now, I do want listeners to know who have not read the book, who are not familiar with it, the book is your nanny journey. So for, for the full nanny journey, please read Generation Nanny because it's, it's excellent. Um, but just for a, t- a teaser, a taste, um, let's hear a, a condensed version of your nanny journey. Well, let's see. So I started nannying initially after college, after my undergrad. So I was about 23. I had um, job hopped a lot, worked for a lot of little nonprofits, wasn't making a cent to my name. It was really difficult. And I decided, you know what, I'm just going to nanny and make money under the table, which Side note, but no, I know it's not okay. Yes, right. Um, get to that later. Yeah. But at 23, I was like, ah, what's the harm? I'm, I'm going to hopefully get my master's or something online, and that'd be the perfect job for me to double dip, if you will. Mm-hmm. So my immediate um, thought was also, and I also want to get out of my parents' house. And- right. And get far, far away from my childhood bedroom. <laughs> and... <laughs> I just couldn't wait. At 23 years old, technically an adult, I was still living in my parents' house and I just couldn't believe it. So I found a family on care.com, moved within two weeks to Santa Barbara, California, one of the most beautiful, uh, one of the most beautiful places probably on the planet. You've got to go. And I nannied for my first family ever. I lived with them. I lived with the mom and the son who was six years old. And um, they just so happened to be from China and not Chinese American. I mean, like Chinese. They had moved there probably six months beforehand. And suddenly I was living with them and they had chopsticks only in their, in their <laughs> kitchen. And I was expected to do their laundry. And I lived with them all summer and got to know the little boy, Danny, really well, even though we barely spoke the same language. And um, from then, I really, I moved back to Denver, where I'm originally from, and um, really nannied for almost, I want to say seven different families in a row for a variety of different times and um, different circumstances. And for one of those families, I moved to Mississippi with them. So that was over the course of about two and a half years. I nannied for upwards to seven different families. And it was quite a journey and kind of crazy twist and turns that I never expected. And um, it really just, it, it made enough of an impression on me, the relationships I had, the um, trials that I faced, the challenges 
but also the kind of introspective thinking to um, use that left side of my brain that I'm so good at using and write this book. And so I had started journaling at that time. And now here we are, what, seven years later? <laughs> I'm yeah. 31 now, I think. <laughs> <laughs> time and has stopped having meaning during COVID. So it's, yeah, yeah. So I'm 30. I'm now 30. I'm yeah. never going to be 31. I, I like <laughs> being 30. Um, no, but it's crazy to think that that was so long ago, but it also feels so fresh. And I'm really excited that I was able to write this book, but also use it as a caveat to have greater, bigger, more important conversations about women and nannying and motherhood and so much more. Yes. Yes. And I, I do want listeners to know that any names um, that we talk about are all pseudonyms. So that are included in the book, because I, I know that my listeners um, know that I don't allow children's names on the podcast because I think um, family's privacy is important and also just legal reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just wanted to throw that out there that we will be saying names sometimes and they are all pseudonyms so fear not um even your husband's name is kind of a pseudonym in the in the book yeah but he's easy to find yeah (laughs) um but then i also wanted to say that that what i i love about it is the introspection and the um the kind of zooming in and out that you do throughout the book of like, this was this one thing that I experienced with one family. And yet here's how I think that fits into our bigger picture overall. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm curious about like how you landed on the name generation nanny and how how you like when in the process that kind of theme and idea came to you well for me a lot of the time with the struggles in my job search and becoming a nanny to my um my parents are on the line of like boomers and gen x and obviously I'm a millennial. That's unmistaken. <laughs> and same, they same. always, and forever, and I'm sure Martha, you um, can relate to this. They never understand anything I do. <laughs> and for me, I, I think my bachelor's is in anthropology and ethnic studies. And so a lot of that has to kind of do with like, culture and how culture changes and this generational idea of how we as women really um, over generations of time have always and will probably and I can guarantee that we will be that caretaker that servant the person that truly cares about others and goes over over and beyond to help other people especially when it comes to family matters um, and children. And I think that's something that is so, um, it just transcends generations more so. And so what I realized, especially exploring my mother's nanny 
um, as she grew up in the 60s and 70s in the Deep South, she had a nanny. And I open up the book with that information that I have about her nanny. And um, I felt such a generational connection to nannies of past generations and also nannies of future ones. And it was this kind of way of transcending time to really just um, paint the picture that we're all in this together, no matter um, who you are and who you're helping or who you're nannying for right now, or, or, you know, if you're going to need a nanny yourself one day, I mean, I think about that all the time as I'm reaching that um, age again <laughs> of like, Oh, I should have a baby. How am I going to pull that off? I'll definitely need a nanny. So all of these thoughts just really, it painted this picture of, wow, there are nannies of many generations. And that's kind of where I came up with the name. Yeah. I love that. And I did, I really loved that you started off with teen, your mother's nanny. Mm -hmm. Um, that story was really powerful. Um, and I, I loved and respected how much you questioned around it in the book. Um, so just to give listeners a little bit of an idea, um, can you fill us in a little bit on teen and, and your mom's history with a nanny? Just a, sure. a little snippet. Yes. So that was a really challenging um, piece of the book for me to write. I one and not telling my own story necessarily. So that was challenging for me. Um, as you can tell, after about the first 30 pages, the book really picks up because it's me telling my own story, which right. is a lot easier to do. Right. I'm a first time author. And, <laughs> and um, I think that at least in terms of the first um, 30 pages for me, my, my goal was to really pay tribute and to pay some homage to this woman that I will never meet a woman that my mom and her siblings can merely describe with rose colored glasses, kind of this, um, you know, beautiful, like she was a part of the family kind of, um, kind of glazing over a lot of like the details of her, their relationship with her. Um, very beautiful, very deep. And clearly teen had, I mean, she's, she literally allowed our family and generations of our family to come to succeed as human beings. Right. Right. I mean, my grandmother could not have raised six kids by herself. Um, that's for sure. Right. <laughs> so, um, a lot of that just has to do with also the history of the deep South and in the sixties and seventies when not just those eras, but um, really when the only job that a woman of color and especially a African American woman in the South could have is working in someone else's house. Right. That was it. They could, they could hardly do or were accepted to do any other kind of work. And um, not only because they were women and women belong in the home and belong doing dishes and need to rear children or whatever, um, but also because she was African-American. And um, a lot of that questioning that you mentioned, that's really merely the narrative that 
I have in my head. And I do wonder if she sometimes took her shoes off in the living room when nobody was watching or if she, um, you know, played little games with, with my mom and her siblings that perhaps she wouldn't have played if the adults were in the room and all those sweet moments that every nanny, no matter what generation and when they interact with kids have. Um, and so maybe it's romanticization, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's also, she was a family member is really how my, my family describes her as, um, I'm not sure. And I would never think that she would see herself as that way because right. I'll never truly know her experience, but it was super important to me to um, pay some homage to her service and all of her work. I mean, this is her life's work and she raised six children that are my mom and her siblings and all of them are pretty successful people, I'd say. Some are, eh, my yeah. uncle's a little crazy, but <laughs> you know, it's just, it was kind of like a, cathartic way for me to process also that guilt that comes along with knowing that my family was a part of kind of this system of which you had, you know, servants in your home and, and a nanny that maybe you didn't pay enough. And so um, I hope that readers can kind of see and hear some of my curiosity, but also purely some of my ignorance perhaps of never truly knowing what that could be like because I can't put myself in her shoes but I can certainly um pay her legacy some homage and some some love yeah and I I really loved you you described this week where four of the older kids went to Disney World right it was Disney World Mm -hmm. um, and two were at home and you say, you know, I, I hope that teen got to relax a little. I hope she got to nap when they napped. I hope she got mm -hmm. to take her shoes off and dance. And, um, and girl, I was sobbing my eyes out when, <laughs> I wrote, when I wrote that and I read it to my mother and she cried. We just cried on the phone together. Yeah. And it, it is, it's so powerful. And I, I think even, without the the race implications the class implications i still behave you know differently when the parents are home and like thinking about like covid times versus pre covid times cuz now like the you know there are parents working in the house all the time uh -huh. and it's it's just a different and it's not that i it's not that the level of care changes at all no but my yeah my freedom to be like silly with the kids mm -hmm. to when no other adults are in the house i like will go to the bathroom with the door open so that the kids don't have to stop playing you know they're right outside the bathroom and i'll just go to the bathroom with the door open because it doesn't if matter. i could tell you how many times i brought that baby carrier in the toilet with me and just like you know hey I'm, I'm going to the bathroom but there you are but I'm watching you and there's nowhere else like I'm not gonna leave you alone to think that that couldn't be happening right now because of the other adults in the home that's some constraints on the workplace that um 
no nanny or really no person that has never nannied won't understand that level of, I mean, you're on all the time. You're on 100% when you're a nanny. And to think when there's parents around or when there's adults around, um, even if like the people have a house cleaner and they come and you're like, okay, well, maybe we won't play the music this loud or, or maybe, um, and it's not for you. It's more so you just have another eye on you. And I think like, um, that's another level of pressure that nannies must be feeling right now. Yeah. And then to think about teen with the, with the racial implications on top of that, as well as like class differences. And it makes my body actually almost go into a hard ball. Yeah. Thinking about the pressure. And that is the only physical description that I can get. Like I have my hands curled (laughs) up right now in little fists. It's true. And so, yeah, it, it brings a lot of emotion just to, try to put yourself in someone's shoes. And, um, you know, I know that in other countries, a lot of times domestic work, um, those same constraints are very much at play at, in 2020. Yep. And um, I think they're still in play in the U S in 2022. 100%. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, and I also, <laughs> I was thinking about, I was thinking about like, a little bit about like thinking from the sixties to 2020 and kind of the progression of the idea of having a nanny, because my understanding, and I have not studied the history around this and I want to, um, more, but my understanding is that having a nanny in the fifties and sixties, decently common, it was a sign of like, having wealth, having, um, a certain lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Now it feels like, or it feels like we went through this dip where it was like having a nanny is a little embarrassing. Like we had all this pressure put on women (laughs) that they had Mm -hmm. to do it all. Right. It's like, Oh, you want to be in the workplace? Fine. You now have to be in the workplace and also, have your home life together. And also you can't ask for help because if you do, you're a failure. And I feel like we're starting to come out of that, Mm -hmm. but we are not there yet. But I do really appreciate it when Amy Poehler says, I literally could not do my job without my nannies. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) You know, like. And even Shonda Rhimes in her book about like the year I said yes, or, or it's something like that. Mm-hmm. She mentions she's a whole chapter on her nanny that's dedicated to her nanny. I loved that. That was just that. I mean, that made my heart shine. Um, cause it's true. Yeah. And yes, I could go on. Yeah. And like, so my, I can't remember. I think it was my 50th episode, but it might've been my hundredth episode, but I think it was my 50th episode. I interviewed my babysitters and they weren't even like nannies in a traditional sense. Like they were honestly helping my mom out. My mom. Babysitters club. Yeah. It was like babysitters club. And like 
they were amazing. And in interviewing them for this podcast, I like learned that a lot of my nanny techniques came from them. I had no idea. And I learned like things like the fact that I've always really liked being in like high up places. Like I like observing from like lofts or like Mm -hmm. even at like a bar I I like being like up on the bar stool you know what I mean like higher that because I'm very short and so (laughs) I think it's like I like being but that's something that apparently I've been doing forever and also like broccoli I still look at broccoli and pretend I'm a giant eating trees and like that comes from my babysitters when I was little. Really? Yeah. And so a babysitter let you know, like, you always wanted to sit on the counter. You always wanted to. You to climbed. Be in the she was like, chair. you climbed like up all the time. That would be nerve wracking, Martha. Naughty. I know. <laughs> I know. So you're a babysitter's nightmare, is what you're saying. Yes. <laughs> I'm also an only child, which. Oh, that explains a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and so, yeah, it just, so I was struck by you talking about how teens influence on your mom directly had an influence on how your mom parented you. Mm. And I loved that because I think it's so true. Yeah. Massively. And I don't want to give any fun stories away necessarily because there are some hilarious ones. There really are. Like I... Reading this, I laughed and I cried. I felt the whole spectrum. I didn't, I didn't ever feel, well, yeah, actually I felt angry at times, like at social injustices, Mm -hmm. you know? So like, I felt all of the, (laughs) a full spectrum of emotions. Well, that makes me really happy to hear. I definitely think that sometimes when you write about yourself, you get into this world of your own where you think, wow, I'm just going to let people read my journal basically. And hopefully they don't think I'm crazy. So to have that validation from you and from a number of different, um, after my book launch, I probably, I sold around 500 books on Amazon, which was such an incredible accomplishment of mine. I, I am in no way a saleswoman at all, but I am really good at making friends. And I think I have some of the best friends and connections and community on Instagram and all over that really supported me a lot. And I've gotten so much feedback about, wow, that was really relatable. And oh my gosh, this story was hilarious. And and, oh my goodness, like this part made me weep. And in in a point I'm like, no, don't cry. Let me get you a tissue. Cause I, I would hate for people to be crying, but it's a, it's a good cry. If you yes. will. <laughs> it definitely, all the cries that I had were very good cries. And like, I recognize this feeling cries, you know what I mean? Like, and let's, let's even like dive into, to one of those moments, which we're skipping way ahead in the book. Um, but on page 136, there's this letter that you found. Would you mind reading just the, the letter? Sure. So let's see here. 
The letter reads, Brianna, who is one of the mothers that I was helping. Brianna, I'm so proud of you for putting Lola's health first. Lola is her baby. I know it's been hard to be off of your routine. Just know that you have done your very best. You have breastfed her as long as you personally are able. And it is okay to start talking. I'm sorry. It's okay to start taking your medicine again. You're not failing her. You are the very best mom and you're making the right decision for you and your family. Love, mom. So, yeah. That is just... I... I think it's so lovely and what and such a privilege for nannies that we get these glimpses into these whole worlds and and we don't see the whole world mm-hmm. but like you know you found that and you it just I think it really surprised you mm-hmm. right Exactly. And, and I'll build a little context to it. I was with a probably, I think she was three to four months old at the time. And this is this woman's first baby ever. Mm-hmm. And she was a nervous wreck. Mm-hmm. And she had found me at, a, I mean, within a week or two, not even, she had found me, she had created a nanny share with another family. She did didn't know and she had gone back to work and so her three-month-old is with a stranger and um, in another stranger's home (laughs) taking care of not only her baby but also another baby and that stranger is me of course and um, I looked at their refrigerator and I saw this beautiful note from this woman's mother and um, it was just really touching to see that connection between a mother and a daughter and also to see that permission giving. Um, she, the mom, basically the, the grandmother, I guess, of the baby. Yeah. A little confusing now. (laughs) She essentially was just really giving her daughter permission to just be herself. And if she was taking medicine and she had stopped taking it to breastfeed, that it was okay to start going back to normal again. And all this bunk about breastfeed, yes, and breast is best, and all this, like, it's very confusing for new moms. Mm -hmm. And there's no right way to do it. There's, I mean, whatever you choose is the right way, is what I think. And, um the mom was basically really struggling and her mother had written her this letter and I just read it and it was such a personal thing for me to read, but it was on the fridge as a reminder to her as such a, you know, out in the open reminder that clearly she needed that love. And it was just such an intimate thing for me to know, but also to um, perceive from my stance because I had never even really thought I'd seen a lot of moms struggle with breastfeeding, but I never had thought myself and felt that feeling of how, how hard must it be to give up your body, your entire body mm-hmm. for not only nine months of caring the child, but also, you know, more than a year after, if you will, if you're breastfeeding, that's tough work. And yeah. 
So it was, it was a really, I'll never forget that moment, which is why I really wanted to include it. So thanks for also feeling that feel that I felt as well. Yeah. And I, I really loved that it was, um, that you included it because I do think that sometimes nannies get into a place of judgment with their nanny families. And I, I have, have felt that, that tug myself. Um, and I think it's really, really important to keep in mind that everyone is doing the best they can. Mm-hmm. And that motherhood, fatherhood, parenthood is incredibly hard. Mm-hmm. And that we are privileged to be able to help support that. Um, and that is not to say that we should not have boundaries. That is not to say that um, you can't speak to your wants and needs. That is to say, <laughs> to just keep in mind that a lot of nannies have never experienced having to go back to work. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of nannies that definitely have. There are a lot of nannies that get to bring their their kids with them to work. There are a lot of nannies that have to leave their own children in the care of others so they can take care of other kids. That's incredibly hard too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I see a lot of young nannies in particular really judging, especially moms. Mm-hmm. And it was yeah. such a lovely reminder. And I've caught myself in that exact situation and even rereading my own work. There are times where I'm like, Ooh, I kind of was hard on her. Um, I wonder, and I wonder this right now, this is a a thought that's happening in this very moment (laughs) when I become a mom and I reread some of the thoughts that I had, (laughs) will I, um, be okay with, with what I was thinking? And I think, my attempt at at reflecting over these relationships and times in different families and my attempt at um, really digging deep and thinking about what all of those experiences have gifted me. um, It's kind of created this like ephemeral state of womanhood that I feel, but also that I want to teach other women, especially young women because at 31, I'm no longer a young woman, apparently. No. You are. <laughs> That's what my 20-year-old um, mentee told me. She said, well, you're not really that young. So, <laughs> and that's a great example of, like, I'm able to kind of paint that picture of, like, no, 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 this is a forever journey of womanhood and of what it means to support each other. And sure, nannying is, like, a direct application of supporting another woman, but also so as giving some leeway and some forgiveness and some, you know, some space to be imperfect. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just, yeah, I really, that passage really spoke to me and um, was an excellent reminder of like, everyone's caring 
really heavy loads. And especially right now during COVID, you know, I know that you didn't necessarily write that with the worldwide pandemic in mind, but, um, but like we've seen the stats, right? That like women are bearing the lion's share of the work that has to be done to have their kids in remote learning, have the household still, they're still expected to show up to work in the same way that they were before. And it's just not fair. Yes. Yeah. And I, I had just, I wrote a note before this call today Mm -hmm. about really what was at the top of my mind, which, um, really is about the pandemic and how it does weigh, it certainly weighs heavier on women's shoulders. Um, and, and that's not to discount anyone else. Um, but it is very, um, a very individualistic experience to be a woman right now and to feel the weight of, um, motherhood of working. And if you're nanny that might even be like a threefold thing where you are a nanny you're taking care of somebody else's kids you are um also a mother and then let's say um oh you're also a teacher now (laughs) just to let you know like you're gonna be teaching the kids virtual um learning now okay so you're a nanny your mom and you're a teacher cool you have three jobs and that's real that's so real and happening right now. Ooh, I just pray every night for all those ladies. Yeah. They, I mean, they deserve the world and serious raises. They, they deserve like three salaries <laughs> at this point. <laughs> yeah, they really do. And, oh. and like, I, um, I, I read this thing recently and this is a bit of a tangent, but I think it's important. Um, and I, I don't remember who to credit and I'm really sorry, but it was my friend Kristen that shared it. Um, it was a, a Twitter thread and it was talking about, um, the idea of that, like balancing motherhood and a job is like juggling, (laughs) but it's like juggling. I'm so bad at juggling. Me too. And it's like juggling like 55 balls at the same time. But the secret, according to this Twitter person, is to know which ones are plastic and which ones are glass. And so some of your work balls are glass and some are plastic. And so to protect the glass balls, you might have to drop some of the plastic ones. And the same is true with your kids and your home life. That like dusting definitely a a plastic ball like if that one drops unless you have a severe dust allergy it's okay you know (laughs) what I mean like and if you have so I wonder in that scenario which is your nanny because I think that some some of our nannies out there and I've heard some feedback recently just from a good friend like a friend just this week she decided to start nannying worked for this woman and and um she's not feeling very appreciated Mm -hmm. and so at the same time on the other end there's families who are 
like, hey, can we raise your pay? Can we, like, how can we keep you forever? You're our, like, you are the string that's holding everything together. Do not leave us. And it's interesting to think about um, how people are prioritizing their nanny or at least how they're prioritizing that component of their life because I think to an extent people get used to having help sometimes mm -hmm. over time and they forget that they have another human on the other line right who's um, having their own issues with school virtual school or whatever it is that that's happening yeah yeah I don't I like stuff Martha yeah, I don't know the answer to that, but that's an excellent question. But good um, thing women are doing it because we're the only one that can handle the job. Yep. Yep. And <laughs> I will also say there are very good mannies out there. Um, oh, for sure. And I, I, I want listeners to understand that when we're talking about womanhood, we're talking about like big cultural implications mm -hmm. and like the fact that like stats show women are asked to do more mm -hmm. even like at an office women are asked to do more like housework type things at an office and like yes that's not fair <laughs> and for me there's a with yeah and, and, and to try to expand that definition of what really I think we're talking so like because we're both females and right. like speaking woman to woman if you will but if you expand that it's more of an ideology and this ideology of, of what does womanhood mean and right now I'm reading this book by this indigenous poet and she is describing um, or they are describing um, what womanhood is like to them and and they kind of describe it as like well Womanhood is earth. Earth is a caretaker. Earth is the um, central. Earth is the nurturer, the, um, the soil, the, like, the base of human nature, which mm -hmm. makes sense because women give birth. Mm -hmm. um, but in a bigger sense, the earth also holds other beings, right? right. So if you are a being, that holds other beings close to you and you caretake and you have a heart that um, cares for other people. I mean, that is kind of like more so ideology of like womanhood, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. So I, I appreciate you bringing that up because I think that's, that's been on my mind a lot. There's been a lot of, there's a, there was a young man that actually reached out to me just recently about, nanning and he had a lot of questions about like well what do families think and what what will they say if they hire me what do I say to them like how do I prove myself that I'm not a creeper and that's that's real I mean a lot of families are maybe not even at that stage yet where they would be able to comprehend having a man care for their children um but you know I've seen it certainly I mean I'm from Denver I'd like to think it's a pretty aggressive place. I have seen Manny's. I have, I grew up with a guy who, you know, cared for a family for over 10 years. And, um, you know, he's basically their big brother. And so those relationships, especially with like 
men of serious character and quality and caretaking skills is is it's beautiful actually i would almost want it for my own family so yeah yeah and i i've had um several mannies on this podcast um and i have an episode about it if anyone's listening and is is curious about it and i i do think that it's important for for us to call out the sexism of our profession because it it cannot be we cannot just slap a a only girls allowed sign on that's unacceptable um and yet (laughs) it's also important for us to hold space for the for gender inequality for the fact that women are asked um to do more women are paid less Mm -hmm. etc etc and so i think just um two sides to every coin martha exactly that every issue job of showing that i will say i've really enjoyed a lot of your various episodes where you really you do a great job of explaining that two sides to every coin technically there's like three if you you think of a coin having that round side so yes (laughs) there's all the rays as well yeah yeah there's so many sides yeah and i and i think that it's important and it is something that i i really appreciated about your book um around race in particular because uh, you know fully being honest here, we are two white women <laughs> talking about mm-hmm. race. And yet I love your curiosity. I love, I really loved the chapter, the uh, chapter eight, which starts on page 69. Nice. Uh, it's called whiteness check. And the last paragraph I want to read right now, um, because I think it's really, really important. Um, The history of women of color as caretakers, nannies, maids, and house slaves, alongside the history of white women being their superiors, is the history that specifically has impacted my life. I'm not saying that if I were black, that Jen and I wouldn't have a relationship. But what I am saying is that if I were black, Jen and I would have a different relationship. It is also so important to highlight this whiteness because as I have moved forward in my journey as a nanny for seven more babies through my mid twenties, I came to believe that the evolution of the nanny position and how it has shifted over time from predominantly low income women of color to now young white women highlights a real example of white privilege that is worth talking about. And I, I think it's so important to be discussed because as you as you highlight in different areas of the book a lot of a lot of white women with masters degrees are now nannying mm-hmm. and we're looking at them yeah i'm getting <laughs> a second masters like. degree <laughs> yeah like we are examples of that there are a ton of examples of that and it's it is our duty as white women to examine that because it is a place of privilege. And I shared yesterday, which this will be weeks ago now, I will reach out to Nanny Shars and ask if I can reshare 
um, the week that this is released, but I shared a video from Nanny Shars, who was on the podcast three weeks ago on Instagram, where she's talking about racism, sexism, ageism, especially in nanny agencies. Mm-hmm. And it certainly happens with nanny families for sure. Um, and it, but I also think it is important that nanny agencies hear that. I think it's important that nannies hear that because we can use our voices to point it out and talk about it and bring it to the forefront. Um, and I also would build on what Nanny Shars put forth in that I also think fat phobia is a big problem in our industry. Mm-hmm. And that was a large component of my reasoning for including a chapter on whiteness and also kind of setting the tone for the rest of the book or really what came before the whole book. Right. Um, because I am a direct benefactor of this white privilege that very much the nanny agent nanny industry is, um, soaked in, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people are able to go on care.com and select exactly their favorite nanny and see a picture of somebody before they hire them. Is that ethical? And should we be choosing our nanny based on if we're comfortable um, with someone who's also from Chicago in our home or, oh, well, I'm not really comfortable with someone like from Guatemala who like speaks a little bit of English, like pretty good, but I mean, I can't talk to her that much. So you can really pick and choose. It's almost like a dating website. Yeah. Um, and for me, while I was writing this book, what I realized is, wow, I had a hunky dory story and a hunky dory, um, experience being a nanny for seven different families. And, and, um, I have a lot of privilege and it was super important to me to speak that out loud, but also to let the reader know, Hey, I'm not trying to, um, be something that I'm not. And I'm going to say it right now that like, I have been a complete, I have been in benefit of this system and these systems of oppression essentially. Mm-hmm. And, um, for me, my book is like the way that I'm dealing with that, if you will. So there's a call to action at the end. I hope that this book is read by many, you know, young nannies that just see it on the, on the shelf and think, Oh, that's cute and fun. And my hope is that this is an educational tool for people to learn about what it is like to examine your own life, what it is like to examine your whiteness and your privilege and um, to kind of use that examination to create social change for other people. And um, you may already get to this, but at the end, I do have a call to action and I really just want people to understand that there are so many immigrant women of color who are working under the table, barely feeding their children, 
I mean, they can be fired at a moment's notice. Their immigration status is held over their heads. There's so many very vulnerable and scary situations that a lot of domestic workers, a lot of nannies all over the U.S., all over the world are being, are in. Mm-hmm. And um, it's scary. And in this idea of womanhood or of caretaking and really caring for others, the best thing that I could do was educate other people really like myself about some of these issues. And my best approach was to be eye level and to really tell my story as authentically and as digestible as possible for, you know, a a young 20 something year old nanny, whether they are choosing this as their profession or they're choosing this as, you know, a, you know, a job filler, like in between or thing it's so important to know the bigger picture that's going on and um that was a really hard chapter for me to write but i think it was super important to let my readers know like hey there's something at work here and i got a message for you yes and i i i think that is so important and i i love your point about how we can now basically we have like a lot of the online sites are a little like vending machines of nannies. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's gross. It, it is, it feels icky and gross. And as Nanny Shar said in her video, like skin color has nothing to do with her ability or any of our ability to take care of children. It has nothing to do with that. Yeah. And neither does gender really. If you, yeah. and, and it's that, that humanistic feeling of care of caring for others and of caring for children. I mean, they're yeah. our future and they are the most important beings on the planet right now mm-hmm. are children. I mean, they're, they're going to lead our country one day. They're going to put us all in nursing homes. <laughs> And children and <laughs> yes children and bumblebees yes very important bees and kids bees and very kids important. yeah don't combine them no keep them separate but we love both yes i just <laughs> i have chosen to take care of children but i also <laughs> respect those that take care of bees my mom yeah. is actually taking a beekeeping class <gasps> see you're cut from a similar cloth, even though you chose a different path. <laughs> yes. Well, she was a teacher for 20 years, so a second grade teacher. So maybe in my retirement, I too will learn how to care for bees. Um, but yeah, I, I, I really, I loved that you said that. And I also love the idea of nannies um, seeing the bigger picture of how they fit in culturally and and also knowing that we can never actually have really the full picture. Our job of investigation and curiosity is never done on this subject. Yes. Yes. And so I think, but I think that your book offers a huge window into that bigger picture. And I really, really appreciate that you did that inner work to write that chapter. Thank you. Thank you. I just want to make these conversations happen more and more. So I'd like to picture 
some nannies in a little nanny group somewhere in Toledo. I don't know. Yeah. Somewhere random. <laughs> Just chit-chatting about like deciding to do a little book and chit-chatting about their white privilege because that is needing to happen. Yes. And I also challenge nannies like make friends with other nannies of different cultures, different races, different dialects, different languages, like, because what a wonderful thing to model for your kids. And also what a wonderful thing to like experience for yourself. Yes. Yes. Like nannying, nannying can be so isolating. Why would you cut yourself off to only being friends with other white nannies? Mm -hmm. And you know, I love that you, you did speak to nanny charge recently because um, she's really shown up for me, which is hilarious because she lives in over the pond. I'm in Austin, Texas. She is in England. I mean, Oh my gosh, she's so far away. And just the other day, you know, I took a long social media break and she just checked on me and it was such a nice thing. She is a one of a kind human being. She really um, is. We're going to see big things from her. So hello, Nanny yes. Shars. Yes, Nanny Shars. <laughs> Love <laughs> her. Um, so yeah, let's, um, let's talk about your call to action because when we were kind of discussing like recording this and I was like, I'm going to read, but I might not finish. And you were like, please read the call to action. That's mm-hmm. a really, really crucial part of my book. Um, so how about I read the call to action for nannies and then you read the call to action for families. Does that work? Sure. Perfect. Great. So a call to action for nannies. Make a contract, even if it's a temporary arrangement or an occasional babysitting gig. Protect yourself and treat it like a real job. Nannies can find a template to make your own agreement for employment on generationnanny.com, which is such a lovely resource. And I totally agree because I have had like washy experiences. Yeah, yeah. For like that. That gig babysitting, like if they cancel at the last minute, unless you agreed upon it beforehand, you don't get paid. Yeah, too bad, so sad. And that's not right because um, your employer doesn't typically cancel on you in any right. other job. So, and you reserved that time. Mm-hmm, exactly. And I think a lot of families don't think about that, but it's like I could have taken a lot of other gigs tonight or I could have planned something that would have filled up my cup like with my friends and things and I missed out on all of that because you canceled um Mm -hmm. and I usually now I usually say like one time the first time is fine but the second time I will charge you Mm -hmm. um because I understand like things come up I, on that agreement, I have like a contingency for makeup hours. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was really important. Like I'm so, I'm just a flexible person. So I allowed, I didn't encourage people to cancel on me, but I said, if you do, and I don't work, 
you're still going to pay me for that time, but I would love to make up those hours at another time when we schedule it two weeks ahead, yada, yada. So it felt good because it was more of a reciprocal agreement that they knew they were going to get something out of it instead of paying me for free time. So definitely check that agreement out because it's very useful, totally free. I would love to help you personalize it if you want to. Yes. Awesome. Okay. Next one. Ask for what you want. Hourly wage, benefits, PTO, sick time, gas and mileage, spending money, stipend for extra expenses. The worst employers can do is say no. So true. I've had several nanny friends or several friends who have recently become nannies because of COVID. Um, And they've reached out to me and asked like, in your contract, what are the things that I'm not necessarily thinking of? And one of the things that I've told them is like asking for your nanny family to pay like a healthcare stipend Mm -hmm. is so useful to both sides because healthcare is ridiculously expensive in the United States and it's a whole big issue. Um, but also they don't have to pay the same taxes on that. So it's a way that you get a benefit that then they also don't have to pay taxes on. And so everyone wins in that scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just things like that. Yeah. Shoot for the stars. Um, and then also join the national domestic workers Alliance at domesticworkers.org. Know your rights and stand up for what you deserve. Mm-hmm. Such good advice. Yeah. For me, that's a really big component of what I plan to do next Mm -hmm. with not only this book and the conversations that come with it, but also with just donating. Um, A percentage of every copy that I sell goes to that, goes to the NDWA. I'm I'm still practicing the acronym. Um, (laughs) And for me, I mean, they're doing really important work, especially right now. They have like a COVID-19 emergency fund that you can apply for if you were nannying at one point and then you lost your job and they don't ask for citizenship when you apply for that kind of stuff. They don't ask for anything. I mean, they're really a valuable um, agent in creating change for domestic workers, especially ones that don't just have the natural rights that most of us do, um, that some of us do really. And um, they have a domestic workers bill of rights that they are always updating, but also it's to show your employer like, hey, I see this as a real job. what you pay me, I pay my bills with and my bills have got to be paid unless I want to be on the street. So, um, it's super important to paint your, your position with any family as a real job. Even if it's like, Oh, I just need somebody for a week or two. Cool. Well, you're paying me and you're going to at least write me an email with what you expect out of me and what you're going to pay because you never really know what can happen. And the worst thing to happen is to not get paid for work that you do. Mm -hmm. Um, Women too often are 
or don't get paid for the work that they do. So that's super important for me. Shall I re I read the call? To I would like to add one call to action for nannies um, yeah. that is timely. So it will not forever be a call to action, but United States nannies, please check your voter registration. Please make sure that if you are able to register to vote, that you are registered and please vote, please vote. I know that we don't necessarily get that day off. I know that, um, I, although I am going to start asking for it in a contract, um, from here on out that I will get election days off. And most um, employers count that as a US holiday. Yeah. So that's some backup and some, you know, extra ammunition to tell your your employer like, hey, well most most employers give this day off or they at least give um, you know, sick time or something like that or paid time off for voting. Yes. And if you have questions about voting, please email me at chroniclesofnania at gmail.com because I really, really care about it. And I, Leslie Nope out about helping people vote. <laughs> I will find the answers. I will get you in contact with someone who can answer your questions. Um, I really want everyone's voice to be heard, especially in this election. So. Mm -hmm. I'm not telling you who to vote for. I'm just telling you, please register and then vote. That is my call to action. Yes. Adding. Now I would love for you to read. Unless, yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh, the call to action for families. So this is just a short list of please do this. Yes. <laughs> um, and this comes from experience because after some of you will read my book, I did not do nannying in the most legal of ways. So don't do what I did. And that's why there's a call to action at the end so that you can avoid some of the craziness that I went through. Um, so the first thing for families though, is to make a contract with your nanny as any employer would do because you are an employer as a family. Um, the next is provide training for your nanny and don't expect them to read your mind. I hear time and time again, nannies just being thrown to the wind and expected to know what the child wants to eat, when the child should take a nap, and um, it's a little ridiculous. I suggest a whiteboard for any mm -hmm. of those things. They're the best. The next um, is to be honest about having a nanny cam, um, especially in video cameras in your home. I think it's super important. If you know you're being watched, that's like double the pressure. So if anything, that would be advantageous to families to not only tell the nanny, hey, we have nanny cams or we have video cameras. And I mean, it's smart. Don't be. And a lot of professional nannies actually really like the video cameras because they're like, yeah. if anything goes wrong, I have video proof that I was doing the right thing. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and then next, pay your nanny the going rate of your city and state or more, exclamation mark. Yes. <laughs> um, when hiring a nanny, consider nannies of color and those of immigrant status to counter some of the displacement that is happening in the nanny industry today. 
Mm-hmm. Um, with that one, I think that I, I think just being conscious and conscientious about some of these social issues and, and the, the environment that nannies are experiencing online and like everything that we've talked about during this episode, it's so important as families perceive getting a nanny. Like I said earlier, you know what? I'm going to think of the benefits of having a nanny and think about how that could actually give my children an example that they would never really have. And it breaks, it breaks the mold. And maybe it's a little bit of a quote unquote risk, but at the same time, is it when we're all functioning other under this umbrella of caretaker equals human, human equals love. We're all good. So the last one here is, for families to join the domestic, the National Domestic Workers Alliance and to familiarize themselves with the Bill of Rights. So the short list, I mean, I I certainly don't think that these lists encompass everything that families and nannies should and should not do. This isn't necessarily like a um, how-to book. As I said, I kind of didn't do things by the book. And, um, but I do hope that those lists, if anything, could be used as a physical and permanent example, maybe as nannies approach new families to use that as, hey, well, I mean, these are the standards. There's even a book written about it, you know. Yeah. (laughs) Use me to your advantage, nannies. Yeah. And I will also (laughs) add voting to families as well. Please vote. Mm. Families. Yes. Um, everyone should vote who is able. Please, please vote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Is it like the three wishes and it'll come true? Yeah, I'm just going to say it. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Vote, 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 vote. vote. Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, now I got. You got Beetlejuice in your house. I have Bloody Mary in my house. It's a party. Halloween. <laughs> it is coming up. Yes, it is. Um, I loved this conversation so much. Um, and for listeners, Audrey and I are going to record more episodes together. So do not fear. We will dive into other topics. We got, we got stuff cooking. But in the meantime, please buy Generation Nanny because it really is, it's a really good examination of our chosen career that is different than any other book about nannying I've ever read. Good. Nice. I really appreciate that. Um, And I, as I was doing research, by the way on other nanny books and picking my title, I had realized, wow, there are so many romance novels that are just like very much sexualizing the nanny position. And then there's the other side of things where it's like, ooh, I was a nanny for, you know, Jennifer Lopez and this is my tell all. And then there was like something in between which was kind of like a how-to. And I'm like, man, this isn't real stuff. This isn't me. You know, I'm a normal person and most nannies are normal people just out doing their job, doing their thing. 
And so I hope that it kind of fills that gap that I definitely saw in the market. Yes. Yes, Cause I, I completely agree that there are a lot of like overly sexualized stories about, around nannying and it's just, and there's aliens involved in some of those weird stories. I saw some, I'll send you them or maybe Please? no <laughs> do. Cause I'm curious. <laughs> awesome. So in the show notes, you will find the link to get your very own copy. Um, and I really, I really have enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much, Audrey. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate all of the energy and what you do for all the nannies. Um, and thank you all for listening. Oh, wait, we didn't tell a story. Oh, I got so into talking to you. <laughs> Did you bring a I story? Tell a fun story. Yeah. yeah, tell it. We end each episode with a story. Okay, okay, okay. So I got a doozy. Actually, it's not a doozy, but it's just so funny to visualize. So right now, just close your eyes, and I want you to picture beautiful Santa Barbara, California, palm trees, beautiful little baby streets that are a little bit windy. The ocean is maybe in the distance, and in front of you, you have a YMCA. <laughs> you have a YMCA with a big parking lot. It's kind of nice because it is in Santa Barbara and things are a little bougie there. So you pull up to this YMCA, you're with the six-year-old that you're nannying in the back seat. He's kind of like trying to put his shoes on, doing whatever he tries to do with his, his backpack, everything like that. Everything always falls apart before you park. You finally park the car, get out of the car, help him get his backpack on, zip up that little backpack, put it on his back. He's ready to go to camp. It's first day at the YMCA. Um, what you don't know is how to talk to this little boy because, oh, he speaks Chinese and you speak English. So here you are, you're walking into this, you know, mysterious building where he doesn't know what YMCA means. It just looks like a big, massive building with lots of people in the same colored shirt all walking in. Looks very strange. He is freaked out, absolutely freaked out. And at that point, <laughs> if you can just picture me, a white lady, white blonde lady, chasing mm -hmm. a small six-year-old Chinese little boy about the parking lot in this very bougie neighborhood, trying to get him to go to the door to go to camp. I mean, that was probably the second day on the job for me. <laughs> Maybe the third day. I think we had a Saturday, Sunday night, and then Monday night was first day of camp. I dropped him off and that was the scene that happened. It probably took him about 15, 20 minutes to stop screaming at me. It probably looked like about I was about to kidnap him and finally got him to the door. You know, I was de-escalating the situation in English, which I don't really think helped, but I do think that my, I could have been singing a song, but just in a very you know, low and monotone tone to get him to deescalate and get him to, you know, eye level and just being really <laughs> approachable. But it took me about 20 minutes to drop him off that day. And I thought to myself, I remember getting in my car and just thinking, oh my gosh, I never ever want to be a mom. That was so hard. I felt so bad for him. Of course, I don't think that now, but man, uh. it, 
that situation was one pretty funny when you paint a picture like that. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that but, is hilarious, but also sounds very, very hard. I know. And you know what? He went to camp every single day that summer and he became like the most popular kid at camp. Oh. I was Danny's nanny. Everybody knew me by Danny's nanny. And um, I got a date at the end of the summer with one of his hey counselors. Up. It really worked out for me. It really worked out for Danny. <laughs> Rough start, that. but really, really glorious finish. Oh, I love that. Thank you for sharing. And, uh, and thank you again for being here. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for taking time. Well, thanks for hosting. And thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Woo! Chronicles of Nania is produced and hosted by Martha Reddick. Artwork by Noni Amadon. Theme music by Brad Kemp. Find him at secondbedroomstudio.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Chronicles of Nania and on Twitter at Nania Podcast. To contact us, email chroniclesofnania at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. This show has been brought to you by Machine Culture. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.